Payback Time is a podcast about building businesses, wealth, and financial freedom. We try to uncover the challenges our guests faced, the mistakes they made, and the steps they took to achieve their goals. The overall objective is to provide you with a roadmap that leads to your own success. Sean Tepper is your host. Are you ready? It's Payback Time. When the market is down, the natural reaction is to wait and see what happens. My next guest has been working in finance for over three decades, and he said that's exactly the opposite of what you should be doing. Now is the time to scrape every penny off the ground and invest in the market. In this episode, we talk about his strategy, his returns, and how long he thinks this bear market will last. Please welcome Jim Tucker. Jim, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Sean. Well, good to have you here. Why don't you kick us off and tell us a little bit about your background? Okay. Well, I like to say I'm a lifetime admissions mistake. I have an undergraduate degree from Duke and an MBA from Harvard. But uh, through that, I've gone through and uh, had 15 years of business experience, operating business experience, before I jumped into the wealth management world where I have been since 2003. So I like to say I have an ability to, to you know, take some of the real world experiences and what companies are going through and then uh, sort of figure out what does this really mean or what are they saying publicly that may or may not be what actually is going on in the company. I love that. That actually is very similar to my background. Like I don't have a, a professional advisory background, but I've been working for a lot of large companies, public companies for close to 15 years. And it's that you get a good understanding of how businesses are run, how do they market, how do they sell, how do they operate. So I'm I'm sure that experience was very similar. Um, I'm curious, what kind of roles did you serve in? Sure. So uh, so I started very traditionally. I was a commercial banker with a, with a regional bank, uh, mm-hmm. then was an investment banker and, and got to see a lot of what was going on with uh, some companies, then jumped over the entrepreneurial world where I was part of a management team that grew a nature and science uh, gift retailer, uh, mall-based, uh, back when enclosed regional malls were actually a thing, and uh, then uh, worked again for a large UK company uh, that owned the French, was a franchisor for Dunkin' Donuts, Baskin Robbins, and Togo's, sure. and uh, then went back to a uh, real estate technology company mm. that, uh, that I was one of the first employees. They now have over 500 employees in a, in a bunch of different cities. So so it's exciting, uh, yeah, again, starting in the finance world, transitioning into the operations, uh, the business operations, and more the entrepreneurial world, and, and then uh, you know deciding that it was much easier instead of writing a business plan and asking people for money just to ask them for money. Uh, and so I, I've done that with, uh, with my uh, wealth management uh, firm. And now we, you know, we manage over $300 million uh, for, okay. uh, for mainly individuals. Sure. And how long have you had this firm? Uh, the firm has uh, been in existence, Tucker Breer Wealth Strategies in Durham since uh, 2013. You know, I got into the business with uh, the big Wall Street firms. I started at UBS then went to Smith Barney and then Morgan Stanley acquired me uh, along with the rest of Smith Barney uh, in uh, 2008 uh, in the meltdown. Got it. Well, thank you for providing your background here because it gives us really good context on what kind of businesses you might know and be aware of and and not just the businesses, but the market, which we'll get to in a little bit. Um, But first, you know, a lot of our listeners like to learn about how you got started in the stock market. So can you tell us when did you start investing? 
Oh, it's a very sad story. Uh, thank you for reminding me. So, so uh, <laughs> I was 13 or 14 and I had a bar mitzvah. And uh, my father said, you should take some of that money and put it into the stock market. So I said, well, what do I do? And so he got me 100 shares of Duquesne Light, which is a nice, exciting utility company that mm-hmm. went from $14 to $19 a share and uh, paid dividends, paid great dividends. And uh, then I said, this is really boring. And so he uh, put me into a different stock through a, at that time, a stockbroker. And that stock went from 19 to 31 in the 1970s. And I was thrilled. So it was maybe like five or six months having had this boring utility. And so I called the stockbroker and I said, I'm going to sell. And he said, why are you going to do that? I said, because it went from 19 to 31. That's great. Well, here's the sad part of that. Um, That stock was called Viacom. And um, if I had just held on to that uh, from the 70s until you know, basically today, that would have been a home run many times over. So that's how I got introduced to the stock market and then basically uh, you know, became uh, an investor and uh, got to see the uh, effects of not watching your portfolio as I had uh, a tech-heavy portfolio in the 2000.com bust. So I took, uh, at that point, a nice bit of money and made it a, a less nice bit of money. And so um, I, I really you know, sort of dabbled and, and had an interest in it in, in various ways in investing. But you know, the, the, it, it's not a good start. And that probably uh, helps because I think we learn much more from our mistakes than, than from our successes. Absolutely. We'll dive into some of the pullbacks in the market because it relates to what's going on today. Knowing that you started in the 70s, you had some good experiences. Um, Just to backtrack a little bit, this is a good question for our beginners is what kind of dollar amount did you start with? Uh, This was $1,500. So uh, you don't need a lot of money. Uh, I am now a financial advisor, so I am wired to be very conservative. So I now don't necessarily recommend that individuals starting out find the one stock, but rather find a group of stocks. And that can be done either through an exchange-traded fund or a mutual fund uh, that gives you some diversification. And so again, that's the boring financial advisor answer that I'm sharing with everyone. And that aligns with a lot of the advisors and wealth managers we've had on this podcast. Um, but some of those same individuals, they can take a more aggressive approach. I'm curious to know, what is your strategy or investment strategy today? Well, the, 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 let me unpack that because I hear a okay. lot of different questions in what you just said in terms of the strategy. The strategy for me as I sit down with a client, and, and, and this should resonate with uh, the, everyone on the call today, is that it's not about growing money for the sake of growing money. There should be a goal. There should be an objective. And retirement's too broad. Uh, But if you start envisioning what the use of that money looks like, that becomes very helpful in terms of your time frame. How long do you have to get to that uh, point where you're going to start using the money? And so then that should take you a little bit more into how aggressive you want to be, what your risk profile and what your risk comfort is going to be. And so I try and steer my clients less to the fact of what their stomach says 
as we're going through things like this. But mm-hmm. and how much time do you have? Because uh, your time is a friend as uh, an investing, uh, and uh, and for that, and from that, I, I think that uh, the strategy is really to have a vision of what you are investing for, and then uh, with that, make some decisions on how you invest. So it always, and I'm sure I'm not the first person to say this for your listeners to hear it, that it's less about the specific investment and more about the allocation. Uh, And that ultimately is how you make money in the market and lose less when the market goes down. And that's, and that's where, you know, I, I think, you know, in terms of the, the strategy, it's to, to really focus on downside capture. You know, how much uh, are you going to lose as we've gone through this? And hopefully you're losing less. Uh, but at that same time, you know, back to my technology, uh, you know, horror mm-hmm. story of the 2000s, technology is going to be very volatile. So the portion of your investments that are in technology do not be surprised that they're on this uh, you know, wild ride right now and you know, plus or minus down 20%. Sure. Uh, that's just what happens in this segment, in this sector of, of your overall investment uh, strategy and portfolio. Sure. Hey, you mentioned the 2000s. Let's drill into that. What happened? Oh, in 2000? Well, um, uh, you know, irrational exuberance. Uh, that uh, profits didn't matter for companies, that it was all about uh, you know building the hockey stick, which was the terminology that you have a very quick way to uh, have your the valuation of your company go through the roof. And that works until it doesn't. And then uh, you know the music stops or someone realizes that the emperor doesn't have any clothes, and then mm-hmm. it goes the other way. And what happened in 2000 was, Appropriately, uh, there was a flushing out of all these companies that, you know, prosperity was just around the corner, but it was a very long turn. Mm -hmm. And so uh, these are the companies that that, uh, couldn't be sustained. And, and, you know, that was when, you know, growth and momentum investing and all these terminal terms that are appropriate, you know, at various points in market cycles, but it got way ahead of itself. And, And so there was a flushing out of a number of companies that didn't need to be public companies or actually, Mm -hmm. quite frankly, didn't need to be in business. When lawyers start taking equity instead of uh, dollars for their services, that's when you know something's a little bit (laughs) And that's what happened in the 2000s, that everyone wanted equity. They didn't want to be paid in in dollars. Any specific stocks or funds that you invested in at that time that uh, you maybe shouldn't have invested in? Well, okay. So, so I was even boring back then. So I remember Janus 20, which was a very concentrated stock portfolio of basically 20 technology stocks. And mm-hmm. I remember I had $200,000 plus or minus, and then I had $110,000. So that was, mm-hmm. uh, th- th- that's again, a good lesson. And I learned most of these lessons with my money, which uh, again, uh, my clients are very happy that I'm not learning on their, on their dime. <laughs> of course. Now, with those, because it, it sounds like the Janus 20 was a 20 stocks, I'm guessing. That's correct. Yeah, yes. very concentrated. Uh, Did e- any of those survive over the next 10 or five or 10 years? Yes. Um, you know, I think that, uh, again, pretty much um, the, the fund, and I don't remember what stocks were actually inside of the, the fund, but they all survived. Uh, and 
basically, uh, you know, every trade works, or I would say most trades work. It's just how long does it take to work? So mm-hmm. as, to sort of fast forward, Sean, into, okay, what are, what should you do now if you have the, the current iteration of a Janus 20 um, where you have a, a high, you know, a large technology exposure? Um, what you do now is absolutely continue withholding those uh, those companies. And the reason for that is that while you're not going to like this 20%, 30% decline if you own individual stocks and mutual funds are probably down you know, mid-20s if they're very mm-hmm. aggressive, um, there will be a snapback. And the only way you really lose money by investing is when you either sell and spend the proceeds or you sell and reallocate to something that's not going to have the same type of snapback that the, the technology that the highly volatile uh, you know sectors of the market are, are going to have. So this is not a time to um, to get out of technology. It's actually, from my perspective, a risk on approach where uh, if you have new money, uh, you know you make sure your allocation again. Here's the the you know, financial advisor coming back into me, make sure your allocation isn't overweight by, you know, you know a factor of, of 40. I mean, maybe if you're very aggressive, you might want to have 25 or 30% allocated to technology. But again, this is where it gets to be a very individual mm. uh, focused perspective, but this is not the time to sell your technology holdings at a loss, or at least that's my experience. Right. And with, with a lot of stocks, like I hold mostly tech because that's my my background and what I worked in the last 15 years. I know tech. I know the businesses I invest in, and some of them are down like 70%. Yep. Um, and I've just, you know, it can hurt if you're staring at it. But in my perspective, it's like, this is amazing. Like, I can be buying these at a, like a significant discount. So I'm right. sure you're telling your customers, get in. It's time to take action. Well, yes. So I'll go back nine months um, where clients were calling me saying, hey, I have some extra money. What should I do with it? I I would tell them, keep it in the bank. I don't have an idea. Uh, And and that was probably one of the very few times that I, when I was professionally investing for other people, where I've ever said that, you know, clearly now I'm telling uh, my clients to find the pennies on the ground and send them to me. Mm, Yes. Nice. Can you share with us what is your specific strategy? Can you share, like, you don't have to say specific stocks. You can, but you don't have to. But what, what do you invest in? Right. Okay. So, so I follow the same approach that, that I invest my clients in. So um, it is basically an asset allocation strategy, mainly through mutual funds. There okay. are some uh, mutual funds, uh, exchange-traded funds, and, and you know, some separately managed accounts when you have over $100,000 uh, and you use a financial advisor, you can get into these institutional types of uh, investing strategies. But there are a couple themes that, that I like. And I learned the concept of theme investing uh, from Ron Barron, uh, from, from uh, Barron Asset, and he has now a huge firm. Uh, but, uh, uh, and again, anything I say is not a recommendation to go out. Of course. And, and, and we have that. I have to say that disclaimer at the end, exactly at the end of every episode. Yep. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I have to say that. But 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 what Ron Barron does is he looks for themes that are going on in the economy, and so from that and taking it into the models that that we prepare at Tucker Bria, uh, we have two themes. One is technology, and one is healthcare. Both have been hammered Mm -hmm. (laughs) in the first uh, you know five months uh, of this year. Having said that. 
technology and healthcare are not going away. And those are two areas where if I would say that there's an a ongoing strategic overweight uh, in our investing, it is with technology and healthcare. Now, those are very broad uh, areas. And whether you go into medical devices on the healthcare side, any area for the most part um, over time, uh, you know, my expectation is, is going to be very, going to be a very nice payoff, especially at the, at the valuations we have right now, again, in technology and healthcare. And again, mm-hmm. um, you know, I like not picking the next, um, you, know, you know, Netflix, Amazon, Google, mm-hmm. whatever, and just letting someone else, uh, you know, diversify around that. It, it makes for um, a less exciting uh, cocktail conversation around the holidays, but over time it will serve you well. Yeah, it sounds like you're going into, again, more mutual funds and ETFs. So you're going to minimize your downside. But on the flip side of that, you might limit your upside, which, you know, let me just I'm sorry to interrupt, Sean, but you can have a mutual fund that does not limit your downside. I mean, the views that, you know, 70 to 80 percent of mutual fund active managers don't beat the the index is accurate. That's not because necessarily there's a uh, the indexes and passive investing is better than active management. It's just that you have a number of very mediocre uh, money managers uh, running mutual funds. So you can have, uh, even within a uh, a mutual fund, very, very significant uh, downside. Uh, and capturing every last penny and then some on the downside. So mutual funds don't necessarily protect you uh, from uh, capturing everything on the downside. A good mutual fund manager does. And that's why a year or two years ago, we were shying away from exchange-traded funds. Exchange-traded funds are great when the market goes up because you're as an investor, you're capturing the last dollar, but you're on a roller coaster without breaks. So when the market goes down and you have an exchange-traded fund, you're pretty much capturing the last dollar on the downside. Sure. How many different funds do you hold at once? Depends on our model. We typically uh, have between you know, eight and, and, and 14 funds. That allows us to get uh, a good uh, allocation across certain bond uh, uh, sectors that we want to have in our models and also uh, gets the generic you know, large cap value, you know, large cap growth, as well as some of these uh, tactical as well as thematic, uh, uh, economic thematic uh, strategies with technology and healthcare. But uh, somewhere between eight and 14, and, and again, always customized to the individual client. We don't press a button as much as we would love to be able to do that. Sure. So with those eight to 14, are you trying to um, allocate eight to 14 funds per customer? Yes. So, so if, if we have, uh, and we don't have account minimums necessarily because, you know, for a number of reasons, but, sure. but on the lower end, if, if you have under $250,000, we're going to have a model that is, uh, you know, has a couple mutual funds that do more than one thing. And so for someone starting out, um, you know, and if you want to go the mutual fund route, uh, which is again less exciting. Uh, you know, if you're not doing uh, your own mm-hmm. research on, on companies, it's less exciting. But uh, then you want to look for like an all cap, uh, a fund or a value fund or a growth fund. So you're not splitting the uh, that value into large cap or big companies, mid sized companies, and small companies, and then going international. You want to have fewer funds. Uh, that have a, a larger percentage of your holding because a larger percentage on a 
$100,000 account starting out. If you have 10%, that's still only $10,000. If you have a million dollars, again, you can slice your portfolio a lot of different ways and get closer to that 14 fund number. Gotcha. So I would consider your strategy very diversified. There's a lot of, some of these funds probably have, you know, over a hundred stocks and bonds within. Yeah. Yes. So the funds that we use, uh, some have uh, you know, over a hundred, a uh, hundred stocks. We don't necessarily love that because then you're basically just buying the market. And if you're buying the market, just buy an ETF uh, at the appropriate time you know, and, mm-hmm. and wait and just go for that. Um, I do think in the large cap space, it is difficult to beat the index and large cap, uh, you know, big size companies where the flow of information uh, on companies is so disseminated that uh, at that point, uh, you know, the exchange traded mm-hmm. funds, getting your internal costs of investing as low as possible makes a lot of sense. When you get down into the small companies and, and even in technology, you know, you want, uh, from our perspective, you want someone who's going in and, and, and picking specific companies not just buying the market. Right. Can you share with us what were your returns in average returns here in 2020 and 2021? Sure. Okay. So so let me uh, do a caveat here in that we don't put together a portfolio of stocks for clients. So we don't have a return based on a portfolio that we develop and manage. What I've seen in working with clients based on their their risk comfort. Now you say twenty and two thousand and twenty one, right? So that was the go go years, or you were talking the last. Five yeah, or the six last months. last two, and I I like to ask a question about two thousand twenty because there's a special time period in that year around March and April. I was going to say March. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yes. So um, we became a little tactical, but but our returns. Uh, in, in that period, again, depending on the client, were virtually all double digit and and, and some in the mid twenties. Uh, I don't think I saw a client return during that period uh, in the thirties. Uh, again, I'm, I'm talking on a portfolio basis. Sure. But, but, uh, high teens, uh, low to mid twenty percent returns. Um, th- that was our experience uh, at that period. Again, mm-hmm. uh, when I talk about them with the world moving much faster than it used to. Um, If you went out of the market or or made any type of tactical change in in March or early April, you would have missed uh, a lot of the recovery uh, that happened. And so that's what happened in March with COVID was a very unique event. But uh, the takeaway should be that you know, be careful about any type of large jolt or dislocation in the market, because when it comes back, you don't want to be on the sidelines. Sure. Absolutely. You want to be in the market. Let's take a quick commercial break. Do you wish you would have bought some stocks earlier? Imagine you had $5,000 to invest. Let's say you bought Amazon stock in 2010. That $5,000 would now be worth over $95,000 today. Let's say you bought Tesla stock in 2013. That $5,000 would now be worth over $220,000 today. And let's say you bought Netflix stock back in 2012. That $5,000 would now be worth over $245,000 today. 
Do you feel like you find out about opportunities like this way too late? What if you could find great stocks before they become mainstream news? And what if a software found those stocks for you? With Ticker, you can find great stocks before what feels like the rest of the world finds out. No matter if you're a beginner or experienced investor, Ticker will help you find great buying opportunities and get a head start on your wealth building journey. Get started today with a free trial. Visit Ticker.com. That's T-Y-K-R.com. Again, Ticker.com. Um, all right. So 2020 was about 20% in, in there, maybe 30 for some customers. What about 2021? Uh, okay. So, so 21 pretty much continued that. Uh, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. we had, uh, and to my point earlier that uh, I didn't have an idea. I, I knew, th- I thought the market was going to sure. come down, but we weren't doing much of anything other than uh, the, the energy opportunity we did see at the right time um, to, to put our clients in, in energy, which was probably a 2020 uh, event. And that trade worked uh, very well. Uh, so we do some tactical things. But, but 2021, we, we saw very much the identical types of returns, maybe not, um, not in the upper end, not, not in the high 20s, the low 30s, but probably uh, without question, even for our more conservative investors, they were in double-digit positive territory uh, in 2021. Sure. That's good to hear. Sounds like pretty consistent um, strategy with your investments. I want to just uh, take a, a, a little turn here. This goes back to a comment made about Viacom, which was a, a missed opportunity. Can you yeah. share with us what was one of your best investments through your entire career? Okay, so um, let me let me answer this slightly differently, and then I can think of is there a specific stock. But in two thousand nine. I remember the client I was sitting with. It was February of 2009. I said, I don't know when this market is going to turn, but the great companies that are out there um, that I can I'm, can put together a, a portfolio of individual stocks that are going to get a dividend in the, the 6 to 7% return. And I did that. So I used to say, I'm never buying individual stocks. Well, I went ahead and, and hit multiple home runs for that mm-hmm. group of stocks that, that I put together for my clients uh, in early 2009. So I started with that one client in February. The bottom was was March. I mean, it, it, again, I'll always take luck over skill any day of the week. So um, I, I did that. And by May, all the clients that were able to had this dividend-paying stock portfolio that most of those stocks are still in there today. So um, you, know, you asked me for, for the home run, mm-hmm. you know, clearly, uh, you know, recently or going back a couple of years, um, you know, I saw, uh, again, sort of on the dividend paying side, AbbVie, which is a healthcare stock. Um, Warren Buffett somehow heard that I had purchased AbbVie for my clients and two weeks later he bought it. So then I think there was the Warren Buffett effect a little bit, but, but I bought AbbVie in, in, in the low 80s for my clients. And that's been a, that's a really nice uh, a nice pickup, both from the dividend, which is why I purchased it. It was a five plus percent dividend at the time. And, and now we have, uh, yeah, it's, it's given back a little bit, but we have $130 share price uh, of the stock. So Nice. Um, that's nice. And that's recent. And that's a real, uh, that's something that, you know, your listeners, you can think about, okay, as I'm looking at opportunities now, what are the ones that, you know, have a reason that you're buying it? 
So the reason can be uh, capital appreciation, obviously, but I bought AbbVie for, for the dividend opportunity. And we had very low interest rates uh, and I was getting basically free money at 5%. And that was you know, basically a, a bond surrogate, if you will, you know, buying AbbVie. Sure, it's a large cap, you know, I don't know if it's large cap value officially, uh, but uh, the, a lot of the pieces of reasons why I purchased AbbVie, you know, you know, it was less for the capital appreciation, which did happen, uh, but, but much more for the dividend that was paying. Mm-hmm. I'm looking here on our platform. AbbVie is, uh, it's currently a watch as it's classified as, but it's only down 13% compared to a lot of stocks. Like I said earlier, some of mine are down close to 70. So hmm, interesting. Yep. It's not a tech stock. It's healthcare, right? Exactly. So, so fit the theme, you know, again, the healthcare theme mm-hmm. uh, as well as the dividend. And, and it was a, a great buy at the time. Sure. Sure. All right, so that's good to know. Here's here's one. Let's dive into the market right now. And just to take a step back, since you've been in, investing in the market, you felt some of the pain in the 80s. Um, right away, I think of 1987, Black Monday, which was really was quick. Time, yeah, yeah so. re- really quick. And then we had the dot-com bust, right? And and you touched on that. A lot of garbage... I'm going to be harsh here. A lot of garbage businesses were simply adding dot-com to their name and getting exactly. <laughs> and going public, which, yeah. which is ridiculous. And then, of course, 08. So what do you see about this market right now? Um, can you speculate how long this is going to last? I know a lot of customers are asking me that question. Yeah. Well, let me first start by saying what we're going through right now is a typical part of the market cycle. So the um, unlike COVID in March of 2020, which we've already talked about, that was an unknown event, an unknowable event of what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Rising interest rates, potential for recession, these are all normal parts of, of the market cycle. So that is my sort of bias and my background. So now I come and I say, okay, if in fact you know, looking at 2020 specifically uh, and, and how quickly it turned, I do think that once the shock of rising interest rates, uh, you know, cools down, um, I, I really can't see uh, sitting here today at the end of May 2022. I cannot see this downturn lasting much more. Uh, than uh, you know, a few months. Quite frankly, I mean, I really what I'm telling my clients is well, we have this volatility, but after the midterm elections, at this point, I really think there's going to be a year-end rally. Uh, I think there's going to be a year-end mm-hmm. rally because you know midterms. Uh, the expectation is that our our federal government is going to be split between Democrat and Republican. The market loves gridlock in Washington, D.C. And so that will help. The only caveat that I put to that, and I look to 2014 when the Federal Reserve raised interest rates right before the end of the year. Now, it was a very different strategy, but it basically tanked the market and if not the economy uh, at that point. So uh, my view is on, on the short side of it, you know, it we're, we're in, you know, basically June. So we basically have within five months. Uh, and if, it certainly uh, it would not surprise me if it happened within five months or right after the midterms in November. And it could go on another you know, you know, four to six months after that. But, but I don't really see this being a long, sustained 
downturn and malaise and all the other words mm-hmm. that have been thrown around, uh, you know, going back over the years. So, so again, um, that in 10 cents, okay, 10 cents, but, uh, that, that's <laughs> my view. I mean, that's my view. I mean, I, I you know, I've already said we're on a risk on uh, approach. Yep. The likelihood of additional downturn from this point is so minimal from my perspective. It's not necessarily when we go forward, uh, because for some people, going forward means going back to where we already were and then going on ahead beyond that. That's not really how I look at it. I look at it as, okay, from this point on, is there a a greater chance that we're going to have additional downturn or are we going to go up from here? And I really think the my expectation is we're going to go up from here. We might be volatile until November, but I really do see that uh, as early as five months, we will be on a path of everyone saying, oh, the market's back. I'll let other people talk about that. Yes, I I totally agree. I've been I've been looking at a few sources of other financial professionals in the market and and they totally agree with you. They say this could be October, November. We could start to see this take off. It's not going to sustain uh, longer than we really think it will. There's a lot of fear right now. But uh, as I tell people, no matter if it's lasting another week or another year, don't sit on the sideline. You want to want to take action. Without question, this is not a time to be cautious. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for that um, positive feedback there on, on your thoughts on the market, because when and you've been there before and I try to remind people of 2008, when the pain hits, it feels like, oh, my gosh, this is going to sustain forever. And the reality is it doesn't. It corrects. And it's just a matter of time. Yeah, no, and what I learned, the question I learned to ask after 2008 is, what if I'm wrong? So as we come here, it, I have listeners who are very concerned. They don't think that that it's going to come back in the same way that I'm, that you and I have been just talking about. Just think about, what if I'm wrong? You don't want to miss all of it. So, okay, you can be within that range of being cautious still, but you know, always ask yourself, not just with this time, but it's appropriate now. But but anytime you're thinking about making a move in the market, what if I'm wrong? What happens? And what if I'm wrong if you decide you're going to lose all your money and that's fine? Well, that's fine. Uh, But if if you're out of the market when the market does snap back, that's, that's a big wrong. Yes. Yes. I totally agree. Before we jump into the rapid fire round, is there any question or any questions, I should say, that I didn't ask and should have asked? Well, uh, no, I think that I'm a believer that corporate profits are a driver of market growth. And so as we go through these uh, hiccups, you know, and if you're buying individual companies, look at corporate profits. Uh, Without question, they are a key bellwether as to what's going on. So go back to 2000.com bus, there were no profits, no, not even a, uh, an expectation of profit. (laughs) And so, so that, you know, held true. And I, and I think that uh, you know, the supply chain issue, which is a real one in holding back some profitability, but I do think that companies are, sure. are trying their best to figure it out. I, I like that. That's very much the, the ticker philosophy, the Warren Buffett is buy businesses with strong financials, you know, that strong yeah. income statement, cash flow statement, and especially that strong balance sheet. All right, let's dive into the rapid fire round here. This is where we get to find out who Jim really is. Uh-oh. If you can, try to answer each question in 15 seconds or less. You ready? Okay. All right. What is your favorite podcast that you listen to? Sean Tapper, Payback Time. All right. <laughs> and I know you listen to it because you told me before the show. That's right. 
<laughs> Are there any others that you listen to? I'm still a newbie as it relates okay. to the podcast world. So I'm going to pass. Okay. All right. What is a recent book you read and would recommend? The recent book that I read, I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So I read uh, about the Squirrel Hill shooting, which is not an uplifting, uh, happy book. And uh, you caught me right before I'm going on vacation. So, uh, mm. you know, ask me in a couple of weeks. But uh, the, the Squirrel Hill uh, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, uh, that uh, the book uh, about uh, the individuals and the people that were impacted by it uh, was uh, resonated sure. with. Sure. Gotcha. Um, I am also, when I go on, there's certain vacations that there's a lot of travel and exploring, and there's other vacations where you're sitting by a pool and relaxing. And that's when I bring a few books with. What books are you bringing with you? I'm curious. I'm going to the bookstore after this. Okay. (laughs) So I am not a prolific reader. So so I literally, when I go into a a bookstore, I have to go into a bookstore. Uh, You know, obviously, uh, you know, the Tom Clancy series, I'm through because very much uh, escape types of books. So I'll I'll look for that. Uh, But beyond that, I I look for things and I I gravitate, even though I said Tom Clancy, I gravitate towards nonfiction. Okay. Gotcha. I had to ask because uh, it's always I, I get excited about the trip, but I'm also I'm a total nerd here. I'll have like three books like teed up and then I kind of shuffle them in and out like the day before. Like, no, I don't want that one. I'm going to take this one. Right. Uh, in, right. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Next question here. I've got two questions related to investing. So first one, what is the best investment advice you ever received? It probably is look for themes mm-hmm. and find the the economy and then look for the best company in that sector. Got it. Got it. And let's flip that equation. What is the worst investment advice you ever received? <laughs> I don't know which one it is. <laughs> Where do you start? Yeah. So um, this goes back to my Wall Street days. Uh, basically, um, anything that looks too good to be true um, you know, is. So, so I say that every Every new issue, every Wall Street investment uh, is <laughs> basically out to screw the retail investor. And the question is, know how you're being screwed and then recognize if you're, if you're getting on board with someone who is uh, uh, where you can, you can make money doing that. Um, pretty much all of the newfangled, it's different this time, uh, you know, investment options that come out uh, and they come out consistently, don't do it. So that's not the worst investment. Well, and I got, you know, I get pitched all the time to, to do, uh, you know, the, these newfangled things. And, and and it's not different this time, or if it is, you know, I will sit on the sidelines and I'll make my wealth slowly. Right. Right on. I agree. And last question here is the time machine question. If you could go back in time to give your younger self advice, what age would you visit and what would you say? I would probably go back to my um, mid twenties and basically say uh, that it's important to put your life in five year increments and have a plan around where you want to be, what you want to do. Uh, you know, I did a lot of things, but without purpose, and I think I could have gotten to where I am now or gotten through some of the, the tough times if I had a five-year plan. So again, you're talking to a, a wealth advisor, someone who does plan from uh, an investment perspective, but but really uh, even there, you know, I, I started by saying it's about uh, having an idea and having a vision of where you want to be and what you want to do with your money. And so I would say in mid-20s, uh, not having a vision or not having, you know, at least a five-year plan. Right on. Right on. All right. So where can the audience reach you? 
Um, my firm is Tucker Bria Wealth Strategies. That's uh, Tucker, T-U-C-K-E-R, Bria, B as in boy, R as in Robert, I as in India, A as in Apple. Uh, Wealth Strategies, uh, we're in Durham, North Carolina. We have a website, uh, tuckerbria.com. Uh, I also have a YouTube channel, which is very attempts to be very basic in some things that, that, that come out that, uh, that are also topical, and that's creating family wealth. Uh, the easiest way to do that is to go onto our website, and then uh, you can go to creating family wealth and uh, see uh, a group of, uh, of YouTube videos that I have now. Nice. Well, thanks a lot for your insight, especially I thought the, the great context there on and how long does bear market could last, I think is really, really valuable. So thanks for sharing that. And thanks for your time, Jim. We'll talk soon. I appreciate Sean. Thank you for having me. All right. See ya. Hey, I just want to say thanks for checking out this podcast. I know your time is valuable and there's a lot of other podcasts out there you could be listening to. So thanks for taking the time to listen to my guest story. If you did enjoy this podcast episode, could you head over to iTunes and leave a five-star review? That would be much appreciated. Thank you. And last but not least, on this podcast, uh, some episodes we do talk about stocks. And please keep in mind, this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. So if you did hear any buy or sell recommendations, please don't make those decisions based solely on what you hear. All right. Thanks a lot. See ya.